Welcome to In My Headache. I'm Aaron Rhodes. And I'm Bill Brownlee. Aaron is the oldest member of Gen Z. Bill is the world's youngest baby boomer. Aaron and I argue about and sometimes agree on the music we love and hate on In My Headache. In each episode, Bill and I debate the merits of two new albums and one vintage recording. In this edition of In My Headache, Aaron and I consider the latest releases from the reggaeton star Carol G and the experimental duo Shushu. We also mark the 60th anniversary of the release of Ornette, Ornette Coleman's landmark album, Free Jazz. In My Headache is sponsored by the Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven, offering new and used vinyl at 76th and Troost in Kansas City, Missouri. Aaron, I'm going to conflate the song titles of classic hits by Paul Revere and the Raiders and the Undertones. Teenage kicks keep getting harder to find. <laughs> and you know, ma mainstream pop, Aaron, has become so uptight and rigid in this difficult moment that pop stars seem to be too self-conscious to have fun. And I think if you've heard the new albums by Justin Bieber and Demi Lovato, you'd agree. You know, those projects are so austere and sober that it's just a drag. And, you know, I don't need Ariana Grande to help me cope with depression. You know, that's what Hank Williams or Billie Holiday or Mozart are for. So that's why for the past few years, I've been listening to pop centered in the Caribbean like Bad Bunny, may have saved my life last year during the quarantine. And this spring, it's been Carol G's new album. She's a 30-year-old Colombian pop star, incredibly successful. Uh, she uh, is known as a reggaeton artist, but uh, there's clearly a lot of Latin trap and pop in her music as well. Her new album, KGO516 debuted at number 20 in Billboard's Top 200. Aaron, if you listen to this, what do you think? Um, I, okay, so in... In my first listen, I it took me three or four tracks in. I would say this is a bottom-heavy album. Um, it kind of took me a minute to get warmed up to it. But once once I kind of made my way into it, once once I hit like the halfway mark, it was a, a lot of fun. I, I agree with you. Um, I think something like something about like modern reggaeton and modern dance hall music something that like doesn't allow me to get like super into it sometimes is like how kind of like subdued or toothless or like monotonous some of it can get you know like they like all like these other like these like uh latin and like caribbean um genres that take on like american pop trends like sometimes and 
So a lot of them ha- have like grabbed on to auto tune in the last like five, 10 years. And for whatever reason, it kind of leads to the tracks not being as like bright and vibrant as they perhaps could be. And that's, that's what I think the problem was on a few songs on this album, but um, there are definitely a lot of really bright, fun moments. And I think Carol G is probably making better reggaeton than most musicians are in the mainstream right now. Yeah. It's, it's funny, Aaron, because yeah, the more she and a producer stick to the North American pop formula, uh, you know, coming out of New York and Los Angeles and Atlanta, the less successful they are. She is most interesting to me when she doesn't do that generic post Malone drone and instead, you know, plays cumbia or corridos or bachatas. And so, you know, call me like a, uh, call me like some kind of musical tourist who is just looking for the exotic, I guess. But that's when she's best is when she sounds closest to the roots in her, uh, whether it's Puerto Rico or Colombia or Trinidad and Tobago, she's or the Dominican. Uh, the, the more she sounds like she's in Los Angeles, the worse she is. Yeah. Um, that's something I was kind of contemplating on this too. Like if I was kind of like asking myself, like, do I like it when she goes for like the more Americanized sound or do I like when she sticks to the kind of roots and the, the basics and fundamentals of the, the main genres that she pulls from. And I think I, I would agree with you in that assessment of the kind of roots centric uh, tracks are kind of some of the most successful ones. Um, and I think, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 one of the first tracks that really stood out to me was the collaboration with um, J Balvin and annual AA. Um, it was very, just very fun and upbeat. And uh, I don't know, some, some of the tracks get kind of clubs club oriented too, and can kind of drag at times, but I like that song that they're on because it kind of mixes in multiple rhythms while, while still, and, and like while highlighting those, those rap verses too, which were both delivered uh, in a cool way, I think. Yeah, she, and this is, you know, the pro and con of being just so interested in delivering just undiluted joy is that she's stylistically promiscuous in the sense that you, there's so many different sounds on here. You get the sense that if they thought like a pop punk song would work, they'd have no problem doing that. You know, they're, they're down for whatever, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's those experiments I think tend to fail. And that's why you, you called the album bottom heavy. I disagree because the last three tracks are the only three that I can't listen to. Mm. I've been just playing the album until I get to that, uh, the piece with Nicki Minaj. And I'm like, Oh no, here we go. Because I think that's trash. The next, the next song has ludicrous on it. I think I think that's awful. 
and then there's like this all-star jam with like uh, 15 hit makers at the end. And I, I can't do it. The production on that track is great, but yeah, it was very busy. I, that I, last just song. too much. What? It was very busy. That last song. Busy. Yeah. Busy. And uh, no, and you, you bring up the, the Nicki Minaj and the ludicrous features. I, I didn't love the, the Nicki Minaj one. It was like take it or leave it or whatever, but I, it, it was funny, I guess, more than anything to hear Ludacris on this album. And it makes me wonder, I haven't like done any research. Like, does he end up on other like Latin pop albums? Like, is this like a niche for him or was he just like, I guess I'm down? I don't know. It seems so random to me and I don't follow Luda <laughs> very closely. Yeah. So yeah it, yeah, it was a real, you know, kind of a retro thing. I, I assume that's what they're going for. It's like, because... I, I, I heard that um, the G and her, you know, her name and her stylized name is a reference to G unit. Okay. So, so she, she's a child of the, the early two thousands. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, that, I think that's where it comes from. She probably always was like, Oh, I'd, I'd love to do yeah. something with Ludi. He's my favorite. Yeah. Um, and we, we kind of talked about how uh, some of the kind of more Americanized pop moments don't really pay off, but I think one song, uh, that doesn't have any features on it. Uh, Gato Malo. That's a very fun song. Very kind of, I think that would be a great pick for like a remix that could feature like Megan or Ariana or someone like, I think just the kind of imagery in that song and the, the production style on it would make for a good, like American radio pop remix shot, you know? So I think that's a good call. And, you know, if you've seen any of her videos, you'll know that you'll immediately recognize how much money is behind her. Uh, And yeah, I don't see any reason why uh, the pop stars you mentioned wouldn't want to jump on a track with her. Yeah. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you though, like I I am excited that we we got to a non-English language album like early on in the show here. So something I was curious about is, do you always, sometimes, or never look up uh, lyric translations for non-English language albums you're listening to? And what what did you do here? In this case, none. Because I I don't even want to know. I mean, it's it's like, and and I speak, you know, my Spanish is limited, but, you know, the, the... the song you just referenced is, you know, obviously it translates to bad cat. So it, it's, that, that tells me all I need to know. I don't think she's, uh, you know, exploring, nor do I want her to explore, you know, deep philosophical matters. So no, it's just the tone here. Uh, yeah. I, I look up lyrics all the time uh, for, if I'm listening to, you know, I'm doing air quotes, sophisticated, Brazilian music or, you know, Japanese folk music or obviously opera, but uh, no, not, not in this case. I, the, the different language isn't a barrier, barrier at all when it comes to pop music, you know, it doesn't really matter. I don't think I even listen to what Ariana Grande is singing actually. And I, I, I think I'm happier that way. That's, that's, I, I think that's, I think you're valid, Bill. You're, you're, you're very valid. Um, 
I, I think, um, you know, I honestly, I don't get to um, non-English language albums as often as I should. And it is kind of just depending on what circumstance, like what I'm doing while I'm listening. Like sometimes I will look up lyrics and sometimes I won't. So um, I didn't, I didn't do it this time around. Uh, if, I, if I had time for another like full listen, I would have, but um, I did not this time. But yeah, I think this, it, it seems like a good, good as any entry point to modern Latin pop and reggaeton. So uh, what would your, your final thoughts be, Bill? I, I'm going to go back to that point because back, back in the day, um, I was a uh, sales rep and uh, I recall once I was selling uh, Finnish, uh, Finnish folk music label and uh, music was beautiful. So beautiful. In fact, that one time a buyer said to me, what, what are these women singing about? And I, you know, having known what they were actually singing about, I, I, I should have lied, but I told him the truth. This is a song about herding cattle. <laughs> he, he was so disillusioned. I think I lost a sale. <laughs> so yeah, let's, you know, ignorance truly is bliss usually. Uh, and yeah, this, I, I'm not kidding when I said bad bunny saved my life last year and that would be an overstatement if I said the same thing for this Carol G album, but this is life affirming, joyous music. And man, with the sun coming out and the weather heating up, this is what is allowing me to get up every morning and carry on. Well, I'm, I'm happy that you're still here with us, Bill. Um, and now on to another very happy, joyous, life affirming album. We're going to talk about the new record from Shushu called Oh No. Um, it is uh, Shushu, as Bill mentioned at the top, is a experimental music duo from San Jose, California. It is Jamie Stewart and Angela Sio. Uh, they've been active since 2002. Uh, this new uh, album on Polyvinyl is all um, collaborations and duets. Um, and in my opinion, it is the most memorable set of songs that Shushu has released in the last several years. Um, I think one thing that makes this album so fun is um, the fact that it was released amid the, the pandemic, um, just because uh, as anyone who has listened to Shushu before knows, the songs are oftentimes extremely depressing. And um, with all, just the, the composition and the, the lyrical imagery and the delivery and everything like it's extremely sad music most of the time so the fact that um the band has reached out to all these other uh collaborators and the, the lineup of which is filled with like very popular and iconic indie and experimental musicians the fact that they kind of connected on all these songs with other 
artists was kind of like it was kind of like oh it's good that we're not making this extremely de- sad music all by ourselves like you know you'd rather be sad with a friend than just in a room by yourself you know so i think the fact that they reached out to to do that these songs with everybody else uh, was a good move and probably mixed up um the way that they were writing these songs so bill how, how do you feel about this i like arty music aaron but i hate artiness for the sake of artiness and i 75 percent of this album is insufferably pretentious i i loathe it and in fact I loathe it so much I can't even laugh at it. You know, it points at this is like, this is the worst Halloween ever. You know, and I, I had all these images in my head of like a, like a junior high Halloween party with everyone wearing black and all these kids like staring at their shoes and no one even being able to muster up the courage to ask anyone else to dance. This is a huge drag. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I only liked three tracks, and those three tracks I really like, but th- those are exceptions. Um, what? Okay, maybe we'll get to those those three in a moment here, um, unless you want to talk about them now. Um, but I, I I think we're we're in we're in disagreement here again, which is what what makes the show fun. I'm I'm excited for this. Uh. I think a good place to start in my next point is that I feel like I was once in the same boat as you when I first came across the music of Shushu. I saw them open up for Swans at the Beaumont Club um, (laughs) many years ago. Yeah, I was at that show. Oh, you were there? Okay, great. Um, I and I'm sure it was an excruciating decision for you as well, because as you may remember, Odd Future was playing at the Granada in Lawrence, Kansas that night, and I had to choose between these two shows. Luckily, I had made it to the first Odd Future show at the Granada one year before, so I had that out of the way. I was the only—I didn't know anyone at that odd, that first Odd Future show, but and all my friends went to the second one that I was skipping to go see Swans and Shushu. Um, and I didn't know anything about Shushu when the show began. Um, and uh, I, I don't know the name of this, this instrument, but it was Jamie Stewart from Shushu playing solo. And he was kind of, for many of the songs, he was strumming at this kind of mini, uh, Bill, do you know what instrument that was? It was like almost like a mini harp thing, but it was like a, it had like five sides. I don't know. I do not remember Shushu opening that show at all. So I have wow. no memory of that. I just remember uh, all the people behind the show being furious with me because I mocked swans in my preview for the Kansas City Star. What would you say? I said, uh, kind of what if I, I, I essentially said what I just said uh, about Shushu. I'm like... You know, this is noise for the sake of noise. You know, it has no meaning. It's just, it's just dreary, existential nonsense. And you shouldn't go to the show unless you just 
hate yourself. You know, it was, I, I, I went, I went pretty negative. Quick yes or no. So I can get back to my story. Do you still feel that way about swans? I, I, I mean, not really. I, it, with my previews and, and, and this is you know, probably cost, I'm costing myself a job here. I just try to be interesting and make it readable. You know, uh, yeah, you, you didn't mind being a little provocative. No, it's, I'm just, you know, you just, you, you don't want to be drab, you know, or ordinary. So, you know, that was, that was, that was, that was my, ang- you have to have an angle, right? That was my sure, angle. Yeah. Okay. So the show, the show begins, Jamie is strumming at this stringed instrument, but, and I was kind of like, okay, I don't really get what he's doing here. And at one point he, he has like this miniature gong set up on the stage and at one in the middle of one song, he pulls out like a slingshot and hits this mini gong with a slingshot. And I like laughed out loud. I was like, what, what is this? What's going on here? Like I knew I was at a swan show and like shit was going to be a little weird at least, you know, but that, that was very strange for me. And it wasn't until I went home and listened to, I believe the first album I listened to was, Shoe Shoes, Dear God, I Hate Myself, which is still my favorite Shoe Shoe album. Um, I don't know, like um, o- over the past several years since, since that show, um, I've come to appreciate like, and it's it's not like I'm sitting around listening to Shoe Shoe on a regular basis because yeah, like I don't wanna have to listen to Shoe Shoe on a regular basis because it's very sad, dramatic, morose music. But that being said, it's it's great for when you're in that mood. And to I, I my my point against your your point being saying that it's just pretentious and sad and dumb and whatever. I I don't mind uh, how like kind of dramatic it is just because for whatever circumstance I'm listening to it in. That's that's what I want to hear. And then also, I think uh, Shushu has great pop smarts and can write great pop music and do a good job of mixing that into their songs sometimes. And it, I, w- would you be interested to hear a straight up Shushu pop album? Do you think they have that ability, but you just don't care for it in this kind of setting? Well, first of all, all boys voice is a complete deal breaker. Now, if the, the the his his partner uh, is it Angela? Is that her name? Yeah, yeah. I, she doesn't bother me at all. It's but your boy, I can't I can't listen to that kind of singing. So no, he could he couldn't be involved. Now, the, the the only album I kind of like by Shushu is that uh, old timey record where they do uh, American folk songs. I kind oh, yeah. of like Un- that. Unclouded Sky. He sings could I Fly be. Away. Yeah, yeah. St- stuff like that. Yeah, I kind of like it because the song structure is there, and I, I yeah, I have a, I'm rooted in their starting point, and I can appreciate what they're trying to do. Oh, yeah, and there, there are a lot of cool like field recordings on that album too. I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, but see, his. To be fair, this is not. I don't like. See, I don't like most of the people on the album. Mm-hmm. Drab Majesty, I can't stand it. Uh, the I don't even know how to pronounce the name. The the circuit to you is that the 
uh, you know, Haley, it's the third track, I think. I've seen that band at a festival and I'm, I, I left after 20 minutes. I couldn't take it. Oh, okay. What were, what were the few songs you, you said you enjoyed on this one? Okay. Uh, the Liars track is yeah. easily the best song. Rumpus Room. Sounds fun. Yeah. And uh, the one that's just straight Zuzu is, uh, is, 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 is really good because Angela goes, there's no ice in my drink. You never made a record I liked. That is really funny. And I, I assume it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. No, and there, there's that, that the, the, whatever that weird, like, final, like, 10-second song is, that, that's another kind of humorous moment that kind of caps off the album. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even count that. But, yes, yeah. that, that made me laugh, too. And then uh, there's, there's a song called, um, I don't even know what, I don't even know what it's called, but it's uh, it's called Owen. Is that no? That's who the guy is. The uh, I dream. It of sounds like the magnetic entirely with Owen Pallet. Yeah, it sounds like oh yeah, it's Owen Pallet. Yeah, I didn't even know my notes, and I like Owen Pallet. Uh, but that's like a it's like a the, a really good mag- magnetic fields song. So I, I like that one. Otherwise, no, nope, no go. What what did you like, Aaron? Um, that, that I, I did enjoy that song a lot. That may be one of my favorites on the album. Uh, it kind of shows off the, like, there's some songs, like I think the title track and, um, one or two others kind of show off Jamie's pop songwriting chops, but this song kind of shows off his ability to create like this kind of experimental chaos and like ability to balance like glitchy electronics and drum machines with like pretty analog instrumentation and like cuz you know a lot of people when they try to um make music that mixes electronic and analog like there's almost always like problems i have with like the texture like they just like the sounds just not meshing in a pleasant way you know but i think uh, Shushu is has always been great at mixing unconventional combinations of instruments together. Um, I, I really liked um, that song, A Bottle of Rum, with Liz Harris from Grouper. Um, I think it kind of shows off Liz's voice in a way that a lot of Grouper songs don't. And I haven't listened to a ton of Grouper material, but I, I've enjoyed um, at least a couple records of theirs. In my notes, I wrote for that track that it sounds like a song from Fleetwood Mac's Rumors if remixed by Billy Eilish's brother. I don't know that kid's name. Phineas. Phineas. So it has, yeah, so it had that huge pop. That's the pop song you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's what it would be. And I don't care for it, Aaron. <laughs> Amazing. Well, let us once again, and hopefully for not the last time, agree to disagree. Oh, yes. That, that, Bill, we just realized the perfect podcast name. And we're already four episodes in. We're keeping the current name, but that would, that would be a good one if nobody else has that podcast name. <laughs> yeah, let's, we'll have to switch it all okay, up. Some, somebody will write um, a, a, a profile, a feature on us together. And that will be the name of the feature. That'll be the headline. <laughs> Perfect. You're doing you're doing someone's work for them. I'm gonna write a press release for us. We'll do a we'll do a separate 
media tour from the one I'm about to do for <laughs> the magazine. Once, once we're both fully vaxxed. So do you want to tell us about our, our final album for the day? There's only one thing better, Aaron, than a free jazz quartet. What's that? And that's two free jazz quartets playing at the same damn time. Yes. So in, uh, on December 21st, 1960, Ornette Coleman got seven of his pals together and they recorded a single 37 minute track. Uh, and it was released on all things the next year on Atlantic records. Uh, and Atlantic called, called the album free jazz. And it's a landmark recording that changed everything. And I brought this album to the table, Aaron, for the sole reason of getting your take on this. So here we go. Let's hear it. My take is, I believe on this album, I am a witness to musical genius. However, it is not, I think there are two varieties of musical genius, maybe, at least personally for me. There's the variety, which is, this is life-changing, life-altering. I don't know how I went up, like existed without this album before. It touches some part of your soul. There's that kind of musical genius. And there's musical genius where I can recognize how unique and beautiful something is but it does not have a profound impact on me and this is an album at least thus far with uh of the latter um and i believe at least in part that it is due to my lack of context like i don't know what jazz music what like experimental jazz music sounded like previous to the release of this and i don't even know much about what it sounded like after this so perhaps i will listen to several more albums in this realm come back to it and have a profound moment with it but i am not at that point yet no i i think that is the proper response because this album free jazz stands outside of time and culture you know i i even for a guy who's listened to jazz you know, for 40, 30, 40 years longer than you've been alive, Aaron, you know, this album, it remains as inscrutable as the mysterious monolith in Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick film, 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, I feel like, you know, one of those uh, subhumans encountering this this slab that is beyond comprehension and yeah, it's, it's still difficult like that. It, as much as I love it, uh, you know, Ornette Coleman had what this system he called harmelotics uh, that which he said, you know, quote, he's trying to remove the caste system from sound. And 
this might be the culmination of that, although he did amazing things before and after uh, this album, Free Jazz. But yeah, I, I, I'm awestruck. I feel unworthy at this imposing sonic assault. Uh, this is one take, no overdubs. It's some of the biggest names in jazz. In the left channel, it's uh, Ornette on saxophone, Don Cherry on trumpet, Scott LaFaro on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. In the right channel, it's Eric Dolphy on uh, clarinet, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Charlie Hayden on bass, Ed Blackwell on drums. All these people are gone now, but as you suggested, this album is so deep and spiritual. I, I don't think of any of these eight musicians as dead because this is truly music that lives and breathes and will inspire awe for as long as, you know, there is a single human to submit him or herself to the challenge. Uh, and I, I guess one thing I would want to ask you about, um, perhaps the legacy of this album is like, it's kind of funny. We, we talked about just the arc of just like the niche of Oi Punk last on the last episode with, with the business. And we kind of discussed how there aren't a lot of Oi classics. Do you consider this to be one of few or perhaps many free jazz, experimental jazz classics like how you know in what followed this like is is it highly influential or just highly important you know and i think those two things can be different yeah they are different that's for sure the i think this album knocked down all the walls and all the barriers in that sense it's extremely important so it's influence in my opinion, is theoretical and philosophical because no one, very few people try to do this, even in the immediate uh, wake of this. I mean, John Coltrane had Ascension five, six years later. Uh, Europeans started doing this quite a bit. Uh, but I mean, this, I mean, this, it's, you know, I think most people would call this unlistenable. Uh, but even now, you know, uh, the idea that music can be redefined uh, it, it is enormously uh, viable. There are guys like Damon Locke in Chicago uh, recording for uh, International Anthem. His new album called Now is doesn't sound like Ornette Coleman's Free Jazz necessarily, but clearly it couldn't exist if this album by Ornette Coleman had never been made. So yes, it's important. And no, it's not influential in the way that you uh, intended that question to uh, to, uh, that that's not what you meant, but so yes and no, Aaron. Yeah, no, yeah. In in the way that it didn't inspire, um, like similar sounding albums that were successful, but it did like break barriers and make it possible for other sounds to 
emerge after it. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the rules for the people who didn't want to abide by them uh, were vanquished. Yep. Now, all that said, on any given day, there's probably less than 100 people on the planet who listen to this album. And it'll never be played on the radio, never was. Uh, the audience is very small, but it, it, it still means a lot. And I'm glad you uh, allowed me to put this in front of you. Yeah, of course. Um, one thing I wanted to ask real quick also, as you said, it is one long track, uh, 30, 30, 40-ish minutes. Um, that being said, do you have one or two favorite moments on this album as opposed to songs? Like, does, like is there a favorite part that always sticks out to you? Yeah, the 20-some minutes in maybe, 27 minutes, uh, there's a bass breakdown <laughs> where everyone drops out except for the two basses. And as much as I enjoy the cacophony and the chaos, at that moment, my ears say, oh, thank you. You know, it, you know, the joke is in jazz that, you know, everyone waits for the bass solos so they can talk, you know, and uh, just start ignoring the band on the stage. But this is the one time when the bass means a lot. From what I understand, it is also about the notes you don't play. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Aaron. Gold star. Uh, yeah, so so at at that moment when uh, all the horns and drummers drop out and leaving those bass players to go, it's it's it 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 you just it it feels like it feels like bliss. So I mean that sounds like I'm dissing the album, but I'm not. You're just but after 27 minutes of it, your ears need their be your ears are begging for a break, and it does come. Um, similarly, one of my favorite moments on this album is, uh, I think it's in the last three to five minutes, maybe is it is, I think it's in the right channel. It is the, the, it's, it almost sounds muted. This, this drum part. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 And maybe, maybe it's okay. It's funny because I remember now. Uh, when we talked about the R plus R equals now live album, I said my favorite part might be the drum solo at the end. Um, maybe the, that's just my rock and roll sensibilities, just being a sucker for a drum solo. But I love uh, the the playing that happens in those last few minutes. Yeah, that's that's cool. The and you know the just like saying it's the notes that aren't played that mean a lot and so on. Uh, you know, the, the traditional cliche about a jazz recording is, Oh, we can listen. To, you know, you have to listen uh, for, you know, to one player all the way through. So if it's a quartet, it's like you have to listen to the album four times and just concentrate on the one guy's part, you know, here, you, you know, you, you could theoretically, you know, listen to it eight times and listen to one guy all the way through eight times. But I mean, that's, not even I've done that. It's that's that's just too much. I just kind of let it wash over me. Well, maybe you have plans for tomorrow. Now, maybe that's what you're going to do all day is listen to this eight times, and <laughs> you can report back. 
I I am, I am maybe the one guy who uh, be would actually enjoy that task. Yes. You're, and and you know, I actually because I'm such though. a dork, I actually listen to it. You know, like I, I, you know, uh, on my stereo system, I'll unplug a speaker so I can just listen to the one channel. Or, you know, at one point I did a, you know, earplug and then uh, uh, like cloth over an ear with my headphones, you know, tilted funny so I could I, I could concentrate on you know one channel because I'm always thinking, oh, it's 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 a battle of the bands, but it's not really because they're 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 they're, they're they're, they're working in unison and they and play off friends. one another. And jazz also, Bill, it's about friendship. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I sense, God, you know, I, I'm going to get into so much trouble here, but yeah, I sense that, you know, like, I mean, there are some strong personalities here and there's no way these guys all liked one another. So no, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to. Yeah, no, every like that. Every like four piece rock band has like they, of course they fight, they break up. So if, yeah, I'm sure this, this group did not like, do you know? Okay. Real quick. Do you know, like the li live performances of this Do did they happen? Did a lot of them happen? Do you know? Wow. You know, I don't know if these musicians ever played. I don't know that there was ever a concert, uh, to this effect, I don't think it would have worked. And besides, uh, Scott LaFerro, the bassist in the left channel, died a few months later. Uh, so in, in a car accident. So uh, he he's out from the get go. Uh, I only saw Arnett play once, and uh, saw Charlie Hayden play several times. Uh, Don Cherry once, but God, I, I'm just awestruck even looking at the lineup. This is this 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 I, I i'm i'm thrilled just to be talking about this i'm i'm honored and privileged amazing well i'm i look forward to you learning me more about jazz and perhaps circling back to this album at some point and with the with a greater understanding do you think the noise uh your your noise community your uh post-punk uh noise pals could listen to Ornette Coleman's free jazz or would this be too much for them, even though it's all acoustic and, and ostensibly quieter? I'm, I, I know like off the top of my head, yeah, several like punk and kind of like DIY scene people that I'm sure really appreciate this album. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Well, great. Uh, Bill, do you, do you have anything to, to plug before we go? Aaron, you've been so busy that I've been letting you do all the work in Kansas City all by yourself. So hit us with everything you have going. The first issue of Shuttlecock Music Magazine's print edition. It is monthly. It is free. It is out now. Um, Maul and Tom Richmond are on the cover. There are several other features inside that I think are worth reading. Um, if you go to shuttlecockmusic.com, uh, you can find uh, a post about the magazine and a list, a link to a document with a list of all the places I've dropped it off. You can also order it on our web store if you do not live in the Kansas City area or just want it mailed to you. Um, so yeah, grab that now if you can. 
or order your copy, uh, follow at Sherlock Hawknag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, subscribe to this podcast feed wherever you're listening. Uh, share your favorite episodes, rate and review it on whatever platform you're on. And I love you and thank you for listening. <laughs> I love you, Aaron. Oh, I love you too, Bill. Oh my God. And jazz music, it's about love. <laughs> and we're out. Oh no. I I hit the wrong button.